This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Repeat, this is a test of the emergency podcast system. Disaster Girls is an unironic excavation of disaster movies with profiles as high as the tallest volcano and as low as the Marianas Trench. In order to ensure your safety and enjoyment, please remain calm and keep your ears locked on your hosts, myself, Jordan Gershiola, and me, Amanda Smith. Hello out there in the madness, in the muck, in the mire, disaster divas. Uh, We are coming to you right now. We're recording at a fraught time in American history, which is the perfect occasion to listen to a podcast about disaster movies. So welcome back to Disaster Divas. It is I, Jordan Cruciola. And I, Amanda Smith. And um, we are not alone in this room today. It is one of those joyous episodes where we have a special guest. So special guest, will you please tell the folks at home who you are? Hi, guys. I'm Karina Longworth. Um, I'm the creator and host of a podcast about the history of Hollywood called You Must Remember This. It's very cool and it's very good. Oh, thank you. And you have brought us a real, it's a real zag, I would say, (laughs) in the possible list of disaster movie titles. But as it kept going on, it kept getting more and more disaster. And I would love for you to tell uh, everybody listening about Elephant Walk. Uh, Give us a little summary of that and why you have brought it to our attention today. So I've always thought of Elephant Walk as being, you know, one of the kind of forgotten templates of the disaster movie. Certainly, um, like, if you think of something like Jurassic Park as being almost a meta masterpiece of a disaster movie, you can kind of skip everything between Elephant Walk and Jurassic Park. There's like a direct arc between them, you know? Um, Let it all go. Yeah. Um, so it, this is a movie from 19... I think it was made in 1953, released in 1954, um, based on a novel starring Elizabeth Taylor as like a young woman who works in a bookstore in London, and she falls in love with this guy, played by Peter Finch, who lives on the plantation in India that his dad created. Um, It's a tea plantation, but he like very callously built it on top of this area where elephants migrate to get water. And so he basically built his gigantic house and his plantation in a, in a way that would, like, block these elephants from their, like, natural survival path. Um, so Peter Finch takes Elizabeth Taylor back to the family plantation where she basically discovers that he, you know, employs about 200 servants and he works in the field all day and then spends all night playing drinking games with the other white English people who live in the area and work on the plantation. And so Elizabeth Taylor lounges around being very sad, wearing beautiful gowns until (laughs) she starts hanging out with uh, this American guy played by Dana Andrews, who works for her husband. And a love triangle ensues. And then there's cholera. And then the elephants (laughs) break through the retaining wall and set the house on fire. (laughs) Yeah. It totally happens. It all happens. (laughs) And and I have like I I. I was once pulling together a list for a publication I used to work for where we were doing like we were doing a roundup of like top luxury train experiences (laughs) you could have around the world. And most of them were throughout the southern half of Africa. And it was so 
weird to be pulling together a list of things that like as as uh, one of my very charming coworkers really appropriately put it she was like ooh nostalgia tourism in africa that's a tough one it's like <laughs> yeah that was that was really all of what it was was nostalgia tourism of like the colonizers and diamond mines and these so you know quote unquote wonders of british civilization <laughs> that had settled in the lower parts of africa and when i was watching this there's you know you have that romantic sweep of a 1954 film with liz taylor and these sweeping vistas and it was immediately just like, I felt that sense of like, ooh, romanticizing uh, nostalgia tourism of the like of the East Indies. I'm a li- I'm a little uncomfortable right now. Yeah. But the thing is, is that this movie complete and, um, you know, I was going to talk about this in the other segment about what is this movie about? But I feel like it really kind of has its cake and eats it, too, because it, it like indulges in, in, you know, it's kind of exploiting the environment <clears throat> and like the beautiful Indian dancers and and all of that. And then it, the elephants take their revenge on the colonizers. Uh, no, I, the arc of this movie, like, as it went on, the, I was like, I, I texted Amanda at the start of this. I was like, if Liz Taylor doesn't go full conservationist and take the side of the elephants and, like, kill the colonizers <laughs> and then f- go back to law, I'm going to be so upset. <laughs> But I didn't even realize that there was an alternative in which elephant justice would happen (laughs) and that the colonizers would get theirs that way. As it became clear that the colonizers were indeed going to get wrecked in some way, I was like, wow, this movie is definitely... I, I didn't I didn't I didn't expect so many emotional twists. And so I was really delighted. I mean, no one expects no one expects elephant justice. Let's be real about that. (laughs) No, elephant justice is one of the most unexpected forms of justice. Yes, a satisfying one, a deeply, deeply satisfying form of justice. Yeah, I mean, you know, I love this movie, and I just think it's it's unlike any other film I've ever seen before in a lot of ways. But I would agree. I mean, it's so it's so functional as a love triangle movie. First of all. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it really it really sucks you into that. And then it gives you elephants setting a plantation on fire. And so I do think it's it's kind of the platonic ideal of what a lot of these kinds of movies try to do. You know, like making you care about Helen Hunt's love life in Twister, even though like yes. the title of the movie is Twister. It's not about <laughs> her love life. But it is. Yeah. It, it somehow becomes you care deeply. And which interesting that you mentioned that because that's another Michael Creighton one. Um, mm-hmm. Because that Twister was written, so Jurassic Park, we've got Michael Crichton could have written Elephant Walk is basically what we're (laughs) we're coming to here. Yeah. Is that this could have in an alternate timeline where he where he's still alive, we could get an Elephant Walk remake with Michael Crichton. And I would be in for for the Peter Finch character standoff with the bull elephant where he says clever girl. Yeah. (laughs) While he's holding a gun. Definitely. Absolutely. They probably should have just made it with Sam Neill, Laura Dern and Jeff Goldblum right, you know, in 1995. Oh, God, yes. You could have you could have one to one this with Jeff Goldblum, Sam Neill, and Laura Dern. And it would have a hundred percent worked. You're right. I mean romantic figures all. Yeah, no, Sam Neill could do the crotchety broken leg guy kind of <laughs> vibe. Guy. Like he could absolutely you know, like that could be his vibe and kind of crotchety and still angry at his father. Jeff Goldblum is the sort of like you can understand falling in love with him within six minutes of meeting him. Mm-hmm. Which is like in terms of the reality of it, like the idea that Ruth falls in love and marries this guy within two weeks and picks up and moves to another continent 
it really only works because of the fact that this guy is Peter Finch. It also works because in 1953, it didn't take more than 12 hours to fall in love with someone and pledge their hand in marriage, according to the movies. Like, right. that That's is just, true too. I mean, that is like the, 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 now like watching, watching movies sort of of that golden era for me now, the thing that just, I'm always so taken aback by is how many of our great man- romances revolve around. I feel like there's two things that happen in our, in our sort of epic old timey romances. And that is. I hated him and he was a cad and I'm going to down and I'm going to insult him for for 15 minutes before we come around and run away together. (laughs) Or like an immediate sense of pining where people get married after like eight seconds. Like those are the two love stories that exists. And like I I watch I watch things from that era now and I'm just like, God, no wonder the patriarchy just fucking sucks so much. Like, (laughs) Look what we have been. Look what we have just been marinating in for a century of cinema before we started actually being like, no. I'm going to put a more realistic timeline on shit like this. I think also this movie is supposed to take place, you know, five or six years before it was made. It's supposed Mm. to be right after World War II. And so I think that there's a sense that she's like this shop girl in England being whisked off her feet. And she talks about like when she gets to India, she's like, you guys are wasting so much food while England is under rations, you know, which is another Mm -hmm. weird point of social consciousness in this movie. But I think it's supposed to be that she's just like this guy has really swept her off her feet with yeah. this glamorous lifestyle. Yeah. And yeah, and and as a as a shop girl, I can attest to both, <laughs> one the customer who does not leave at clothes, which is just the worst kind of customer. As soon as that woman was like, "I want to read the end of the book." And I was like, "Oh, I know you. I've had <laughs> yeah. you. You're the worst. You're the worst human." I like you're the customer who comes in at 555 on Christmas Eve <laughs> and keeps us all there till seven after we're supposed to be home. Like, I know you. Um, but then also the fantasy of having like a charming sort of roguish man who comes in, sweeps you off your feet as a customer and you're like, takes you away from this life. Right. Oh, have I have I thought of that a few times <laughs> in my life? <laughs> um, while standing there in uncomfortable shoes. Yes. Yes, I have. Um, so that aspect, like that little tiny microcosm of her world before we get to his world is very relatable um, if you've ever worked a retail job. So yeah, I definitely understand why after two weeks she was like, sure, I'll run away to India with you. Cholera? What? No, this is fine. I'll leave fine. I will never see my mother again. This is okay for me. I did, I did not see cholera coming. I did not see the cholera coming. That was no a real- No one sees cholera coming. That's yeah, part of its plan of attack. That's, that's it's the part, Spanish yeah, Inquisition of, its, of Diseases. Signature. I, I what I found vi- what I found perhaps more believable than anything about this movie was a bunch of dudes in suspended animation playing polo on bikes every night getting hammered at the really rich guy's house not being like having no women around and like ogling the first the first white one who shows up <laughs> bringing like jolly old England down home for them and it was just, it was like, yes, this, this doesn't even feel like a fantasy scenario. This feels like what this rich single man and all of his single man lackey friends would be doing in their little play palace on the tea plantation in India. I was, I was almost cringing at how true it, and normal it seemed. And I was, I was imagining myself being Elizabeth Taylor straight up throwing myself off the balcony. <laughs> So, of course, when Dana Andrews shows up and, like, you know, he's not playing polo on a bicycle, 
He looks great. <laughs> By contrast, but the default is you have to fall in love with him. That's your only option. Really. Yeah, right? I am a misandrist. I would have fallen in love with that guy at that moment. I would have been like, oh my God, you're the one I've been waiting for my entire life, it turns out. I thought it was this guy who I knew for two weeks, but it's clearly you. <laughs> and I also, I, I, te- well, I, I texted Amanda this last night. I was like, is this just, is this just like Rebecca? Like, is this movie just basically Rebecca for, for guys with severe crippling daddy issues? Because the, like, head of house is very much giving off a Mrs. Danvers vibe uh-huh. about the governor, the previous, like, the original owner of the estate, the, the, the man who built it, who destroyed the elephant's path to go get water. It very much felt like she was, like, this was Manderly. Mm-hmm. And the governor was Mrs. DeWinter, and the head of house was Mrs. Danvers. And I was like, this is such a surprising, like, gothic ghost story about a man obsessed with his father. And then the, the room that Elizabeth Taylor's not supposed to go into that's like a yeah. shrine to mm-hmm. the dead dad. And, but it's also like a weird, like, playboy palace. Like, it's yes. so lurid and, like, badly sexy. You, well, you know, yeah. too, you know, too, that the, the head of house guy is going in there like when he goes in there and has his private time in the governor's quarters that are always locked you know he's like touching his underwear and folding it and refolding it <laughs> a la mrs danvers like this is what this is we have this story i it just didn't it just didn't get adapted for screen until a little later on i was i was very taken aback to find that but again like the for the for the reality of it I was like, yes, this does feel like a perfect prison of toxic masculinity. Like this, this movie's really, uh, this movie's really nailing something that we would now just turn into a straight up horror movie and we would trap the woman in and there would be a lot of like screeching violins and it would come out as like the next feature from Blumhouse. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say this is, this is Jordan, Jordan, oh, Jordan Peele could absolutely do a woman trapped inside of a, a mansion in colonialist England. Real, or colonialist India, real well. I mean, I was haunted. Uh, Guys, this movie yeah, has it, everything. I don't, yeah. I really don't understand why I've spent 25 years defending it against, like, Elizabeth <laughs> Taylor stands who no. say not her best work. She's great in it, though, because yeah. she does really, like, by the time that you get to the end where she's, like, giving firm monologues to people, even when she kicks out all the dudes. Yeah. Like, oh, that's why you hire Elizabeth Taylor for this, because oh, she can suddenly grow a spine, be Cleopatra and commanding and kick out a bunch of strange men from this horror palace. Really, uh, at the end of the day, this movie was also mother. <laughs> that, thank you. That's I was going to get to that. Yeah. This, this was movie mother. is also mother. When she kicked them all out and I was like, oh, I know what movie I'm watching now. I get it. I get it. This is mother. She she can't escape she can't escape all the parties and Peter Finch's character is the writer and I get it now. Uh, and it was Darren very, Aronofsky very exciting wishes really. he had thought of an elephant parade uh. to take down that whole operation at the end. I think yes. that also we have what we haven't talked about too is um, how well the elephant stampede is shot and how really you know, well this is like a yeah. this is a time I was before so impressed by the elephant work in this i know <laughs> this is a time before they could have used any kind of cgi or most kind of yeah. trickery these no, are real all, elephants those were all elephant actors and there are shots where elizabeth taylor is really clearly in the shot with the elephants like there's this <laughs> one incredible like, shot where the elephant work. like destroys the staircase that she's standing on and she's uh-huh. facing the camera she's obvious it's obviously not a stunt double 
Yeah. No, when, when she runs, like, like almost when, all of it was her pra- was practical stunt work from Elizabeth Taylor. Like she runs through most of it. She's climbing up the stairs. We see her even the two of them like climbing down the balcony at the end. A lot of that appeared to really be her doing those stunts. And I was like, that's go Liz Taylor. <laughs> like the that was an unexpected turn from you in in a really great dress. Like, yeah. go do it. <laughs> I did love I did love when they were escaping a burning elephant walk when that when, you know, husband has shown up and he is like he's had he's been a dick for so much of this movie because he's just like lost in drink and workaholism and being obsessed with his dad and this entire whole ecosystem where like the ghost of his father's reputation hangs (laughs) over him at all time. And he's like emasculated and has no real identity of his own. But then he's like summoned the will throughout the cholera epidemic to be his own person finally. Goes back to, re- to rescue his wife because he knows she's alone in the house and the elephants are coming. They're like descending a tree at one point and he just by one hand like lowers her down. I was like, oh yeah, Liz Taylor's definitely 80 pounds. Like no, <laughs> definitely no more than 80 pounds in her finery running around this house where she is also like she's trying to get out of the house at one point when she realized the elephants are coming and it's catching on fire. She's running from like side to side in this huge ornate foyer and there are literally elephants entering from all directions (laughs) and when she goes to leave the main exit she like gets through almost through the threshold of the door i think and then starts backing up and then you see an elephant coming in after her and then she runs back into the foyer and she's surrounded i was like holy shit liz taylor is truly surrounded by elephants right now (laughs) they like they have set this up the 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 liz taylor the crown jewel of hollywood is currently surrounded by elephants menacing her in a giant mansion set i was very impressed yeah she's also i just googled because i don't i like i'm not i love i like liz taylor's like mythic but i don't actually know a lot about her she's super young in this I didn't yeah. realize she's, yeah. tw- she's 22 in this movie. Which in 1954, so, was that like being 40? <laughs> oh, no. Well, she, I, I think like she might have been on her third marriage. Like, but. <laughs> she, yeah, like she could, this was, I guess, no, she was already like a real actor. Like I forgot about National Velvet and stuff. Yeah. No, you, couldn't, you couldn't just put Liz Taylor into a bunch of, I can't imagine insuring this movie in 1953. <laughs> like going to the insurers and being like, so here's what we're going to do at the end. We're going to put a bunch of elephants on a set, and the set's going to be on fire. Yes. And somehow we're going to teach elephants how to use fire effectively. Because, like, the elephants really actively targeted. I I would like to imagine, and I don't want to know anything about the process of making this movie, because I don't want to know about any sort of animal abuse. I just want to pretend that the elephants, like, when they started knocking down the wall set. When they went for the piano, that was my personal favorite part. Like, the Mm. fuck your piano, like, shove. (laughs) That was hilarious. The fuck this particular item. Yeah, that was very cat-like. Yeah. Then when they start tearing, like, they start breaking through the set um, in the beginning, and they just, like, knock down the wall. I was like, I hope they're having a good time. Yeah, I hope. Like, that looks like they, I hope the elephants had fun, because elephants have a true capacity for whimsy. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I hope that they enjoyed it. I also really appreciate it. I know that we're supposed to believe that um, the head of the household, um, was it Abrahim? Uh, no, Abu um, Tami, no, I think. I, I, I will. Uh, sorry, yeah, I have it written down. Abu, Abu Hami. Abu Hami. Yeah. I had it written down. I just was trying to remember words. I, I appreciate, like, I know we're supposed to think that Abu Hami was, was killed by the elephants, 
But I really appreciated how delicately he was scooped up in the elephant trunk and yeah. just placed to the side. <laughs> yeah, that was, was a like, very unsavage moment, really, for Abu Hami. Like, he was yeah. really just curled up in a trunk and yeah. placed in another spot. <laughs> I mean, I would love an elephant to transport me in that way. Um, but but uh, meanwhile, Liz Taylor's, like, standing on the steps being like, Abu Hami! Yeah. Um, and screaming. And I was like, no, he, that was actually a very delicate, like, excuse me, sir. Yeah, that looked like more of a party stamp- trick. Like, we now we move stamp- the person and it's fun. We're stampeding now. <laughs> and he, like, moved Abuhami to the side and then just kept going straight through. But, yeah, that whole, man, that sequence is is just spectacular. And the, the elephants being, like, shoving an entire staircase Oh, that was great. <laughs> yeah, I had no question throughout the whole that no. whole sequence of like, could elephants do any of this? I was like, yes. All of it felt yes. believable. In its in its radical nature, I was I was so I was so in. I was like, yes, yeah. of course elephants they would coordinate this. Mm-hmm. This would be a designed attack. Like yeah. this isn't just this isn't just getting from point A to point B, we're knocking down the wall so we can get through the walk and get to the river. This is like we've collaborated, we've thought about it. We're operating under instructions from the the bull elephant. <laughs> And his vendetta. And yeah. we are going to burn down this home. And we are going to systematically like pick apart uh, like our totems to colonialism and the indulgence of these people who have invaded our land. We the elephant people. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, def- definitely this is real. And yeah. basically all they needed was like a quick set of instructions and they could do this. Now, yeah. Karina, I uh, wonder. So I, I, oh, I was sorry. I was oh. going to say one one thing, just for point of reference for disaster divas who might be wondering. Uh, just to timeline this, Muja arrived at the Belgrade Zoo ah. sixteen years prior, so in nineteen thirty six. Okay, the unified so, Muja theory holds up. So, Karina, just to real quick brief you on this, there is uh, the world's oldest alligator is yes. Muja. He lives in the Belgrade Zoo. Yeah, he arrived in nineteen thirty six and is still alive to this day. Mm. Yep. And uh, we have a running theory that all movie animals who um, stampede, who attack, who take, yep. who rise up in vengeance, operating um, at the behest of Muja. So yeah, that he has some still sort of falls. cerebro situation and he can communicate yeah. with them all to stage attacks. Sounds so great. So Elephant Walk does still fall within the Muja, the Mujaverse. Mm-hmm. Um, That's amazing. In terms of, yeah. Checks out. We, we're still... Still there. The, the math works. It just, there's no way to argue it. Muja, Muja and then the bull elephant. Bull elephant was definitely a right-hand man sort of like field commander <laughs> type. Yes. Because uh, that was a level of coordination that one could really only expect. Um, and I got to say, I, when, that, when that first house servant fell over. Um, yes. With the, with the cholera? Yeah. Well, yeah. my first thought was, did an elephant have a trank cut? <laughs> Snipers. That was because I am like somehow an idiot, even though I'm I'm not an idiot, but I can be deeply dumb. And I just had this moment where I was like, elephant trank dart? And then remembered, like, no, no, no. Probably something else. Probably not elephants with a blowgun. <laughs> um, but I would have loved to have seen elephant snipers, is why I bring that up. Anyway, in you were 20, asking a question. In Jordan. 2020, that would have happened. The 2020 take of this movie, that's what would have happened. Um Yeah, just just load them up in the in the trunk and then just <laughs> Karina, what I was wondering was, as as the, I don't know, world's foremost expert on elephant walk, I'm going to just throw out, um, what, is the, what is the critique, that you've, what, what is the main issue that people are taking with this movie? Because watching it, I didn't find that it was necessarily out of step with cinema I see from the day. Liz Taylor is very compelling, as Liz Taylor is very easily, very easily is at all times. Like, what is... What's the problem? Like, what is, what was, what's the problem with Elephant Walk for people? 
Well, I think for Elizabeth Taylor stands, they find it unsatisfying compared to mm. films like, you know, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf or Suddenly Last oh. Summer, you know, where she has sort of a stronger character. But okay. I think the given what she's asked to do in this movie, I think she's really great in it. I also think people just don't take Elephant Walk seriously because they they find the premise silly. But again, I, I think it's say. I think it has so much going on in it, and I think it's one of the most progressive movies from the 1950s that I've seen. Um, and I mean, it's basically like this whole project we're doing of trying to become an American superpower. Like this is uh-huh. what happens when you're a superpower. <laughs> you know, mm. this is like the the end result of of exploiting brown people and and you know manifest destiny like building whatever you want wherever you want i was very i I, because like that uneasiness that i had at the beginning of the movie i was perhaps one of my biggest surprises of of watching this entire thing was how much it didn't i kept waiting because like even when i started settling into and i was like oh okay this isn't this isn't the horror that i was was nervous that it was going to be in like an exploitative sense i kept worrying about the twist I kept worrying that there would be a twist as it would go on and on that I I figured that Liz's arc was going to bring her around to Elephant Walk and that she was going to like come back around to her husband, that they were going to be no longer estranged. She wasn't going to want to leave and go back home anymore. She was going to want to stay and become the woman of Elephant Walk, the head of house kind of thing. And I was I kept waiting for this like turning point where it was going to see where she was going to be like see this all isn't so bad and I can live this life and now that I've endured so much here I've been hardened by the land and I too am going to be like a colonizer empress and it never happened like I was before the house burned down like when the house burned down even I was wondering like are they going to do a thing like don't worry like we'll rebuild it back bigger than bigger and better than ever but it wasn't like she continued to like have a sense of we can are meant to feel the entire movie that these waste men around her husband are kind of gross leeches and we are meant to feel like this is a this is a a domain out of place with within its environment and that it has exploited the people and natural resources to exist and she never settles in to an easy relationship with being the sort of lord and master of all that she sees around her and i was so pleasantly surprised like you said, especially like given the time period, that it actually maintained that stance to the very end. Like if, if we are meant to feel in celebration with the elephants at the end that this place has burned down, and that Liz Taylor and her man are going to go build a home elsewhere. And yeah. I was so grateful for that. Yeah, he actually like the last line of the movie. I think is Peter Finch saying, "We'll build our own home somewhere else." Like, they're going to leave. And then the last shot is, like, the elephant, like, you know, sort of snorting in victory. (laughs) Well, and that we... Power-wise, like, the elephants definitely have a come up at the end. And, like, we get a humbling of of the white man who's conquered the land, which is a nice turn of events for, for a disaster movie. We don't normally get that. Well, it was really... It was nice to see... Like, I thought it was a nice little touch. Very nice little touch there toward the end when... He's rescuing her from the, the the burning house. And that not because it felt like she, you know, she just made a classic final girl mistake and ran up the stairs instead of finding another door to run out. But like she didn't have a sense of hopelessness about her. He became they became stronger together in each other's like rising amount of fortitude in the midst of handling this cholera epidemic. And what I really liked at the end was that when he has her and they're about ready to go out the window, they have to escape 
through his father's room. So he blows open the lock on the door. It's all so many metaphors. He blows open the lock on the door. They run through the room. They get to the window. But before they go out, we see his father's portrait go up in flames. And he gives like the most satisfied smile as it was happening. I was like, okay, good. That is like, that is the closure on the governor that short of him, because I'm wired to think of everything in these terms, I definitely thought he was going to emerge in a reveal where Abu Hami had been visiting the room because he's still in there and he's become this weird recluse and he's actually alive or he's a fucking ghost or a zombie. (sighs) But instead, we just see his portrait and it burns. And I just, I didn't expect this movie to be able to tow its message to the very end in 1954, 53. And I was... I'm with you. I I now wish to join the defenders of Elephant Walk. Where are we meeting? <laughs> well, I hope that people listen to this podcast and it becomes like a, a cult hit, you know, because, you know, I've been trying with the Turner Classic Movies crowd for so long. But let's see if the, <laughs> the, the, the disaster movies crowd can can get on board. Yeah, see, disaster divas can, can yeah. round up and bully the, the classic movie people into <laughs> accepting this film. And I just see you as I, I picture like a like a riled up like a like a college like club meeting where you are like the dissident of the TCM crowd, <laughs> just like shouting you know truth to power at them in a in a in a smoky cafe. And you know, in the context of Elephant Walk, especially, I I'm very pleased by that image. I also think that maybe one of the things that that makes people or has historically made people resistant to embracing this movie is because it doesn't fit in either a masculine movie or a woman's picture box. You're right. You know, because You're it's right. It's kind of a lot of it is kind of an action movie in a sort mm-hmm. of male form. But then there's no doubt that Elizabeth Taylor is the protagonist and is has like yeah. the subjectivity of the movie. Yeah. Well, and, I, think, and, and, and I oh, feel sorry, like man. you can only sorry. Yeah. The, in terms of relating to this movie, like anybody who who has ever dated a dude who has way too many friends who spend <laughs> way too much time with him. <laughs> you'll understand this movie immediately. Like as soon as, as I mean, I've been avoiding sh- I've been avoiding yeah. those men my entire life. So, yeah, yeah. that's why I wanted yeah. to throw up. I mean, the whole the whole party where he's like, I have a surprise for you. I'm going to throw a party. Mm -hmm. And she thinks it's a party for her, but that it turns out to be the annual party for her his dead dad. And then like in the middle of it, he gives her that ugly elephant necklace and is like, this is my mom's necklace. Like that. Now you are queen of elephant walk. And she like can't (laughs) even wear it. And then while she's like struggling in front of the mirror, like about what to do with this necklace. Her husband, like, has his drunk, like, leg break accident. It's it's just, like, uh, yeah. it, all of this stuff is shot and put together in a certain way where it, I mean, it's one of the reasons why it's so unlike any other film from this era, but it's it's all about her experience. It's not about, like, the drunk husband's experience. Yeah. No, the, I think that at that point when she's struggling is the, dr- she hears the drunk, the drunk husband's already recovered from his leg break. At that point, he's outside. T- singing around his dead dad's grave oh, with his buddies <laughs> and he throws a drink and then passes out and has to be carried back oh, into right. the house that's that's and that's she has it's the second time him. he's carried into the house yeah yeah that's what that point is mm-hmm. and i was just like yes that is the all of this is like all of this is a very good lesson in why you don't agree to marry a man until you've seen his home <laughs> yeah. like, and you've met at least a few of his friends yeah like you just like i you know i'm i'm there i'm with the the two week marriage like cool fine i have no questions on that it's 1940s 1950s like 
the whole I saw her across the room and knew she was going to be my wife thing is very romantic. I don't care. I'm in for it. Um, yeah. I read, I read romance novels and Jordan, the two like, the two types, archetypes you described, the uh, enemies to lovers yeah. and the we've known each other for less than a month yeah. are literally the only two options you get when <laughs> That's it comes it. to how a romance, like. They can also be friends who've been friends their whole lives and then suddenly realize that they're in love, but that's, that also exists. But most romance novels, like the romance itself is, is a span of like less than a month. Oh um, God, I was watching Top Hat the other day for a, like a movie research I was doing and, or was it, no, was it, was it Top Hat? God, fuck, I forget which one it was. There was, I think it might've been actually an old Hitchcock movie on Criterion. Where it was just like, they start out as adversaries and she's, you know, she's mid-Atlantic accent and she has no time for him and he is insufferable and he's a fool and he's a gad. And then they're on some boat stowing away together to get out of like war-torn England and she's like, well, I've, I want to be your wife. I was like, when the fuck did this turnabout happen? When did, the, when did we reach this point? You were just bitching at him when you were getting the tickets to the boat and now you're like, well, I want to be your wife. I was like, where, 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 we get off, where did we get off the hate train? But that's that's all. Those are our two choices. Those are our two choices for romance for like probably the first sixty years of movies. Uh, I think. Yeah. Well, as someone who's aggressively straight, I can tell you that's still pretty much your options. <laughs> uh, <laughs> is this? I mean, this is this is where the like he punched you on the playground because he likes you kind of shit starts. Yeah. No. It's it. Look. It's it's. It, there's something very charming about it in movies. Maybe not in real life, but. Um, <laughs> But I do definitely think, like, I, I have no questions in my mind about Liz Taylor agreeing to marry him after two weeks. I'm no. just like, you never go to a guy's house unless you have a way to leave it. Like, that's just a valuable <laughs> lesson that you need Damn to learn, right. Liz Taylor. Mm-hmm. And you don't agree to marry a man unless you can confirm that, like, he doesn't also live with eight of his friends. <laughs> yeah. Because I have definitely gone to that dude's apartment. And let me tell you, he has a mattress on the floor and no bed frame. And it's going to turn out that he's not wearing underwear because he hasn't done his laundry and has no clean underwear. Emotionally, this was very much a house where the mattress, like, albeit for its opulence, this was very much emotionally a house where all the mattresses were on the floor with no bed frames and every guy yeah. had, like, a plate and a fork. This, well, this is, except, this is meta- metaphorically no, ma- no bed frames. Except in this case, there's 200 servants to, like, wash their <laughs> yeah. underwear for them, so... It's, it's literally, yeah, in this case, they just, it's, they have lots and lots of moms. <laughs> yeah. well and i i did i i do have like the 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 it was so satisfying to watch her kick those guys out of the house and again like to the reality like their you know their po- presentation of politeness to her and then like when she looks at one of the guys who's been like most famously drunk throughout the movie like he looks at her, he's like as friends in good standing of the house and she's like get your fucking ass out of here right now i was like this guy He's so real. I know that guy. I know that guy's friends. I'm friends with the girls who've dated that guy's friends. They never date him. They always date his fucking friend. And I have wished to kick that guy's ass out on a curb so many times in my life. And Liz Taylor's doing it for me. I don't know how I couldn't have enjoyed this movie, (laughs) given that information. Yes, Liz Taylor, be my avatar. How often can I say that? (laughs) Well, okay. So a question too is, I think what I think is really because I I'm now I'm now really liking this idea of this being as like an archetypal of, of this being a disaster movie archetype in a way that like Poseidon Adventure is so much kind of that movie, right? Like it is the beginning of the modern disaster movie. It's sort of everything that came after it, like or or was that um airport? Did airport come before Poseidon Adventure? 
uh, I think we said Poseidon Adventure came first. I think, okay, yeah. But like those, those. Oh, no, like, Airport 1970 came, because airport, airport was 1970. Yeah, Airport, so airport 1970. Yeah, and that was gave, not that we cannot use that as a marker. No, I refuse. I think everyone, everyone after we watched it was like, no, 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 it's Airport Three was really the right. modern disaster. But it, but like that, that commenced the airport franchise that would that would lead us into what the modern disaster movie looks like, and what Airport, what first Airport does, um, and what obviously Poseidon Adventure does was better. But I think what we really see is that establishing of the minutia of existence being very important to the start of the story. So we build these relationships, like all the little bits and pieces of personal oh, yeah, intrigue yeah. that we get from Poseidon, the whole like bureaucracy of how an airport works at the start of that movie. This movie does that where it makes the beginning of the drama about her unhappiness amidst the daily operations of how Elephant Walk works, except it does it in an hour and like 47 minutes instead of three hours. <laughs> like this movie efficiently accomplishes what those 70s movies would need three whole goddamn hours to ramp up. And it just maintained my attention so much better as a result. Yeah. Yeah. It was really surprising to see it was an hour 40 minutes when I like started watching it. I was not expecting it to be such a succinct movie. And then breezy, breezy. And- and, and I gotta say, like, the disaster aspect of it, loved that we got a, a turn, an elephant chaos in the last, like, 10 oh, yeah. to 15 minutes. But even with the cholera epidemic, oh, yeah. like, this could have absolutely been an outbreak kind of disaster where, because it, it, they do a great job of really giving you, and as, as people who are living through <laughs> a, a pandemic, um, you know, Jordan, when you texted last night and you were like, Weird movie to be watching right now. And I had to ask, are you in the third act? Because when you watch it in the third act and you're just like, yeah, that's once the cholera epidemic hits, you really it was like, yeah, this uh, this is really our first time watching a movie that has. Is this our first time watching a movie that has a I true it, like it was the first one, pandemic. It was, it was the first time watching something that wasn't like zombie. Like, yeah, the first this time is watching yeah. something that wasn't like science fiction level contagion. But yeah, this isn't like, like a oh. children of men. This is this is our true like our first true pan like a t- actual pandemic film. And it's um and I was watching. I was like, oh, yeah, this is all this feels very real. And this could just be the rest of the movie mm-hmm. is trying to fight desperately fight what feels like a losing battle from <laughs> something that just keeps spreading. Um, And when when I mean, uh, if we had John- President Liz Taylor. Right now, well, apparently, Liz Taylor would be doing better. <laughs> uh, that's that's true of most things. With President Liz Taylor, there'd be a chicken. <laughs> uh, there'd be a diamond chicken in every pot. Um, White diamonds. Oh my god! You guys should write some kind of speculative fiction where she gets elected president in 1980 instead of Reagan. Oh, oh my god! That would have been wow. Karina, let, yeah, <laughs> you've got an audience. <laughs> President that, Liz Taylor world. in 1980 beats Peanut Farmer Jimmy Carter <laughs> in the wake of Iran-Contra? Wow. I just want to see Li- President Liz Taylor go toe-to-toe with Margaret Thatcher. Oh, my God. <laughs> I tell you, the like, AIDS epidemic, like, there would have been, you know, a very different story on that. Oh, my God, yes. I mean, she basically served as a president in that capacity while our government completely failed us. Mm-hmm. So... I'm suddenly realizing that what I a thing I want to be born of this um, terrifying and and awful and just like catastrophe of stupidity time is like just a lot more. I mean, we got, you know, Lovecraft, Lovecraft countries going on right now. I want a lot more like revisionist history and speculative fiction. 
I'm just, that is I'm, suddenly what I'm feeling like. You know what? Let's make Liz Taylor president in 1980. Let's like have Kate Blanchett be a seek like li- not Kate Blanchett as an like plays a character like Kate Blanchett in a movie where she plays Kate Blanchett secret government operative for like the United Kingdom. Like let's do that. Let's 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 have the craziest world possible to take us out of the crazy we cannot currently escape. I am realizing that, like, if you replace Ronald Reagan with uh, with Liz Taylor, <laughs> we live in a very different world now. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, my God. The, do, like, Donald Trump doesn't happen in a world where that timeline divert. You know what I mean? Because, like, <laughs> no. realism is tied so much to, like, what modern conservatism yes. became. Oh, and, my like, God. We'd have to the income inequality. We'd have, ta- we'd have Taylorism. Yeah. <laughs> And not Zachary Taylor. We're like Taylorism. We're like the the ethics are like if you have the opportunity to buy jewelry, buy it, and then also everyone can have a drink at four p.m. I (laughs) Secretary of State, Secretary of State, uh, critic Angelica Jade Bastian in the administration (laughs) and the and the the belief and and study of Taylorism. I just have to say. Um, do you guys? I did feel, you guys see? Oh, I'm sorry, Karina, continue. I was just going to say on the subject of Taylorism. Did you guys see this tweet? yesterday uh, about the president Zachary Taylor no so no. Za- Zachary Taylor was president um he died in 1850 I think and he died in office after a July 4th party where he ate a bunch of raw fruit and drank a lot of cold milk he died of crippling diarrhea and so that is is that accurate that's accurate and so somebody tweeted like if Zachary Taylor had spent four years saying I can drink as much ice cold milk and eat raw fruit as much as I want and I will never die of crippling diarrhea that would be funny too oh my god I would love to say that we've come so much further since then but have we not so not super no because according to Wikipedia almost immediately after his death rumors began to circulate that Taylor was poisoned by pro-slavery southerners and similar theories persisted into the 21st century. Sure. Yep. QAnon. But they dug up yeah, his this body. Is the, this is the QAnon. They dug up yeah, his dug, body yeah. really recently to test it for poison. And it was inconclusive. But the people who want to believe he was poisoned instead of just like drank too much milk and got diarrhea, um, <laughs> they, they still believe it. But the thing is, is that there were open sewers in Washington, D.C. at the time. So it's like oh, yeah. it's very possible that his fruit was actually contaminated with um disease and that's why oh, he got yeah. crippling diarrhea God. he actually it was there was a cholera outbreak at the time it wasn't so that nice. cholera though it wasn't like elephant walk cholera it was a different type of cholera which is just basically it gives you diarrhea oh my god you know so many facts karina <laughs> i just learned all this after seeing that tweet because i was like did this guy really <laughs> die from having cherries and milk and maybe it, ca- it is just wait you is- were at the time eating cherries and milk no but i do no. enjoy cherries and milk um do you guys know about this yogurt place called Humphrey Yogurt? Oh, my God, yes. No? So it's like an old no? school L.A. place. There, it used to be oh. a chain, and there's only one of them. They basically have these machines that are giant drills, and they put, like, frozen yogurt or ice cream and then toppings in, and then they mix it with the drill so it's all blended together. And so oh. it's, like, my favorite treat and my favorite combination right now is chocolate, cherries, and almond butter. So oh, I'm yeah, like, that makes perfect sense. I'm mixing cherries with. Well, I don't get the dairy version. I get the coconut uh, milk base, but I safer, am safer having that kind that. of experience that Zachary Taylor had. Not the diarrhea part, but I am like <laughs> ingesting something similar to what he ingested. 
I just I, I just so want to circle back to Humphrey yogurt. It exists <laughs> still. I didn't know that there still was one. Yeah, so there there was my childhood, and it was like not a place we ever went. But <laughs> I think we went like once, and it was so magical that you could get the toppings mixed in, and it's like a McFlurry but better because yeah. it's, it's a better quality and the mix is better. <laughs> Um, this is the most magical information I've ever learned. So there used to be a bunch of yogurt in existence. There used to think the difference is that like it's fine because I imagine him drinking giant jugs of unpasteurized milk versus like (laughs) right. Like I would just assume that he's drinking like a very thick, foamy sort of God cream on top, cream on top. Yeah, like straight from the cow. The best that you know, a a delicacy. also, Fourth of July in Washington <laughs> oh, is disgusting. Like that <laughs> That's a is swamp. just That's a the swamp. most gross time of year in Washington. And so Nothing the idea like a lot of, of drinking milk with your humidity. Yeah. So the idea of drinking dairy um, <laughs> at any point in July is just like shocking that more people didn't die of of just violent diarrhea. Honestly. Yeah. So anyway, I brought that all up just to be like, if we're talking about Taylorism in terms of fantasy president Elizabeth Taylor, people might get uh-huh. confused and think that oh. you're talking about Zachary Taylor. Well, if we oh. had had a Liz Taylor presidency, <laughs> I don't think there'd be any confusion about that. We would fucking know who the one and only Taylorism was about. Yeah. The alternative is Taylorism is don't mix cherries and or don't mix <laughs> yeah. fruit, fruit and dairy in the heat of summer. And <laughs> That could also be a Jewish, a Jewish kosher law. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> like, I'm honestly, actually, now as I say it, I'm like, how is that not a rule that we have? And, and we have so <laughs> many other random yeah. arbitrary. Like, I'm surprised that's not a thing that I've always been told as a child. Is like, also, don't mix your milk and your fruits. Like, we need a third uh, testament for ways to avoid crippling diarrhea. Mm-hmm. Now, well, I, do we know what the fruits were? Like, were they particularly acidic? Because I wouldn't want to mix, like, I'm sorry, I'm really stuck on this now. You never should have brought this up. But, I'll stop now. Well, in the tweet, it said cherries, but... Oh, okay. Now, okay, I think I'm wondering if, is crippling diarrhea and dairy and cherries, uh, does that bring us to the end of our reality index to take us into, <laughs> or do we feel comfortable um, departing from the reality assessment and moving into what this movie was really about? I think so. Yeah. All right. I mean, we, I think uh, I think before we do that though we do have oh to, uh, yeah uh, before thank, we thank do you, that of God Jason we do have something that we have to bring up before we do a that break from our premium disaster diva yep premium disaster diva our our inaugural and really uh, can they ever be topped sponsor we need to take a break to talk about super super yaki and I just have to say again folks do you love movies the good ones even bad ones everyone told you not to like. It sounds like Super Yaki is the place for you. The team at Super Yaki loves movies, so much so that they've dedicated every waking moment of their life to bringing you top quality merchandise to showcase your love for them from super soft t-shirts, can confirm they are super soft, advocating for the immediate production of a third national treasure, to comfy sweatshirts that serve as a call to arms for those of us in support of making Judy Greer America's lead. They even have pins of some of your favorite directors like Sofia Coppola and Jordan Peele. Super Yaki joyously brings you tangible love letters to movies and filmmakers that you can wear with pride. Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all of their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks and ships with compostable poly mailers. It's an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. As a special gift to you, listeners can save 10% on their order with code SUPERFRIEND That's all caps, no spaces at checkout. 
If the spirit moves you, find them at superyaki.com. That's S-U-P-E-E-E-R-Y-A-K-I dot com. S-U-P-E-R-Y-A-K-I dot com. Let's watch more movies. Uh, I Recent favorites of mine that I have acquired from Super Yaki, because I own a number of their apparel items at this point, I am very proud to walk around with my Let Elizabeth Debicki Be Tall t-shirt on, as well as my I Am a Fan of Kathy Yan t-shirt. So if you would like to join the Super Yaki gang with titles such as those, get on to superyaki.com and check it out. So thank yeah. you for that. And, and we, we, have, uh, we are going to be buying one of our friend's babies a onesie that they are now selling. We, yes. they, have, they are doing an alphabet tie-in, and there's a G is for Gerwig uh, onesie that this baby will proudly be rocking. And uh, I think I've recovered from whatever stroke I experienced in the middle of that read, so that was fun. <laughs> um, so yes, thank you, Super Yaki. And that flings us into our What Was This Movie Really About segment. Karina, would you like to kick us off since you already teased a bit of that uh, at the start of the show? Well, I think it's it's clearly about colonialism. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like it's almost like it's not even subtext. Um, right. And then I do think it's also about I mean, it feels like a feminist movie to me. It feels like it's a movie that is really about a woman, you know, sort of entering into a masculine world and mm-hmm. like proving that that world needs to be changed, needs to be completely dismantled. Um, and then, you know, it's it's also, it's clearly like not even, again, not even subtext. It's clearly about having respect for other cultures and and for animals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And all of that just feels so radical to me as a movie from the mid 1950s. Yeah. No, I, I think you're super right about that. I I, I think the, the, the chorus of detractors you have encountered about Elephant Walk throughout your life, to me, Sound like a bunch of goddamn snobs who aren't taking an elephant and cholera disaster movie seriously because it's an elephant and cholera disaster movie. And we don't abide snobbery on the Disaster Girls podcast. Jordan, what do you think this movie was about? I think this movie is about do not move in with and marry a man who lives an entire, like, basically hemisphere away um, after knowing him for two weeks. Uh, that I, I think that that just can't be underscored enough. Like it's one like, hey, people go fast. I have a wonderful friend who definitely moved in with somebody after a whirlwind uh, trip to they previously knew each other, but they had a crazy night out. They were like just as friends. They were like, let's go to Las Vegas. They went to Las Vegas. They got there, stayed for 36 hours, took a plane back. She moved in with him that night. She never. Went back to her apartment again, except to like slowly collect her things. And they're married now. They have children. It's been years. Their wedding was spectacular. Uh, She's tremendous. But that wasn't moving from the United Kingdom to India. That was she had an escape hatch. Like there was there was always a world where she was surrounded by her support system and her people where if things did, you know, not happen to work out, she could have easily returned to the life she had before that experience and that relationship and things would have been okay. And she would have had counsel, people to sort of bounce things off of. She wouldn't have to immediately start falling in love with the first other nice guy that she met once she got to the sprawling estate in India to find some semblance of connection with another human being while her husband played drunk polo on bikes with his idiot friends in the in the foyer so yeah mine is a super do not move in across the world and with a guy who you are going to marry two weeks after you've met that's it that's that's mine 
Because obviously Karina's right about the other things she said. So I'm going to put that little local point in there. Yeah, no, I think that's all very true. And uh, the only thing I'll tag on to that is uh, I think this is a movie about how you should never marry a man without knowing whether or not he is uh, constantly in a weird love-hate relationship with the dead <laughs> with his dead father. Yeah, like, totally true. Always only, only get involved with men if you can say for sure that they aren't in a very, very unhealthy, unsolvable relationship yeah. with the, their dead dad. Like, if, yeah. I wouldn't say it's a first date question, but it's definitely a third date question. Is <laughs> the body of your father still on your home estate? And if, they, yes. if they're like, yeah, yeah, dad's buried out back, then like, <laughs> I, I would think have... this movie makes a compelling argument to say, cool, congratulations, and then end it. Um, I would have also I... accepted the message of just never marry a man. Yeah, I thought you well, were going to stop at that. I was like, you're communicating to me, Amanda. You know I- I'm always going to couch it. Like, even I recognize, <laughs> like, I recognize when I'm making a poor choice in life, and I recognize that, like, my poor choice is being, is, is the fact that I'm uh, on dating apps looking for men. Um, <laughs> but it's just, like, a, a nice thing to, as, as you get older and you start, and you date, and one of the great things and valuable things about dating is that it really teaches you what you're looking for and what you're not looking for. And what this movie oh. taught me I'm not looking for is a man who has a locked room where the mystery of the locked room, you can potentially ask yourself, is his dad's corpse in there behind a desk? Yes. Because I was yeah. absolutely waiting for that, like for the for the Bates Motel reveal. Yep. Uh-huh, totally, of, same. Oh, is his dad's mummified body still sitting behind the desk overseeing the estate? Yep. And that's why she can never enter it. Um, so that's definitely one of the things. And I would I would say like, the other, the other thing this movie is really about is elephant justice. Yeah, most definitely. Like the true can't heroes be, of this can't movie be under, are the elephants. Under, can't be understated. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from, if you the moment from the moment that like Peter Finch that John has like a weird stare down, intense stare down that only like you can see so much of his network performance coming through in certain moments <laughs> of this movie because you get to see the crazy eyes that late you'll see later on when he's in network like twenty five years later, and it's really great to watch. Um, <laughs> But his from his like weird psychic <coughs> stare down with the elephant in the first few minutes of the movie to the when his house is finally destroyed, I was like, no, this is this goes beyond. This transcends. This elephant is an actual character, and it is a movie about elephant justice. So yeah, colonialism. We've got feminism. Uh-huh. We've got dead dadism. We've got <laughs> yeah. Don't rush to things. <clears throat> Some movie. It's a rich movie. I would also yeah. say it's about, like, if you have these cans of petroleum that you're going to use to what? burn down cholera huts, just make yeah. sure your elephants can't get to them. Yeah. <laughs> that's a valuable. That's a very valuable lesson. You're right. Yeah. Especially Safely like, storing your, in, your extreme flammables. Yeah. Really good takeaway from this movie. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that the elephants read that it was petroleum or they sensed, like, how do we think that they knew? Because I don't question whether or not they knew. My only question is, can they read? Well, <laughs> can you know, Amanda, read? I'm going to remind you that an elephant never forgets. Yep. So, uh, <laughs> they probably saw the petroleum being used to burn the cholera huts. Mm. And you know, who's, you know what elephants saw that? The elephants they sent out on reconnaissance, under orders, in their coordination plan to take down Elephant Walk. They had reconnaissance elephants for sure, watching the burning operation, bringing this intel back to the big bull. I bet you, you know, they cut that scene. You'll see elephants but... in disguise, like elephants dressed up as ferns. <laughs> yeah. Elephants and elephants in mustaches and caps. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> elephants in long jackets. I, 
One of the men who actually would hang out at the house was actually an elephant. <laughs> one of the one of the men on a bicycle was an yeah, elephant. One the, one the one, one who was the most belligerent the about leaving. <laughs> they are they are the Lost Boys. Oh God. Yeah, like I did. I did as I was watching. I was like, Oh my God, this is the horror version of Peter Pan. Like. <laughs> you've got got wendy who's now been like taken back with these promises about this beautiful land she's wendy and it's the horror version of it um where wendy doesn't have to run around neverland in a nightgown the whole time um she's (laughs) she's got fabulous costumes by edith head but like she has to take care of all these lost boys it's the actual horror of the lost boys because they they are not they would not take kindly to a woman instructing them on anything. They don't want a mother in like, they all want a mother, but they don't want a mother. Yeah. yeah. They and all so, want yeah. someone to do their laundry, but they don't want a mother. Yeah. So it was, it was, as I was watching it, the first, the first half of this movie is very much like a, a horror version of Peter Pan. I, does that take us now into dream casting? Yeah, I think it does. All right. Who wants to kick it off? Um, uh, Amanda, you want to go for it? I mean, I, I think that dream casting is like remaking this movie as I would. I, if someone was like, Amanda, here, you want to remake this movie? I'd be like, I can't because <laughs> it's such a it's it works so well. And like I, I in my head, I started to try to do it. And I was like, you could do Jude Law as the Peter Finch character like that uh-huh. would work. But it's a really hard one to recast because it is such a like you can't find a new Liz Taylor. Like there's no option. And and Darren Aronofsky kind of did it when he tried to make Mother. And, <laughs> like, mostly it just was really creepy because you had, like, that age, a very marked age difference. Um, so instead, when I remake it, I would, as Jordan, as you said by text, I was going to pitch it. Yeah. This movie, you have to remake it where it's a one-two lead of a Liz Taylor, of Liz Taylor's Ruth character. Mm-hmm. Slowly falling in love, not with Dana Andrews, but... With an elephant. King Kong style. King Kong King style. Kong's, yeah, like she's out on her horseback ride and she comes across the elephant and they have a moment. And it's, I want, I want this movie basically told from the point of view of the elephants. Ah, okay. Uh, yeah. where, the elef- where the elephants are the hero. That's how we're remaking, we're remaking this is. That's fair. Eh, I don't, I, I'm going to do a story remake instead of necessarily a recasting. And I'm remaking this where at the end, Liz Taylor runs away on the back of an elephant. Um, great and and just and and the elephant drops her off at at the at the airport and she puts her hand <laughs> she puts her hand on its forehead and it kind of leans down right and then like it touches its its trunk to her nose right right gotta have and it and then she walks away forlornly um that is that is what this movie is for me is the husband dies all of the men die um yeah all of them all of them die. <clears throat> the the locals are freed of their bondage. Yes. And the elephants are able to walk back to the water again. And Liz Taylor is in love with an elephant. <laughs> uh, I'm in. Yeah, that's like, let's green light this. Let's make this happen. From Disaster Diva Studios. <laughs> what do you guys think about, about if someone came to you and was like, we need to remake this? What do you think? I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna go straight up big sweeping romance I'm gonna like let's because it does as Karina pointed out it does manage to keep its pretty like for the era radical principles intact throughout um so it it is a story I feel comfortable importing as like a let's do it as a period piece in the the present time and uh John is going to be Vincent Cassell (laughs) because he is just so handsome and so scary and so charming he is all of those things i can i can really see him in the in like the aviator pleats 
in the uh, in the yeah in in the aviator pleats and the button down and picking up the tea and smelling it and being gruff and then charming. Um, and, and Liz Taylor, of- it's it it's going it's going to be because it has to be Margot Robbie. <laughs> in- All right, instead yes. of That's- bicycle polo, Vincent Cassell could do parkour. <laughs> I, I mean, we saw Underwater, and even if Amanda didn't love it, me and Jason are pretty fucking high on that movie. So I support action star Vincent Cassell. Hell and yeah. And I also support like a 2020 slightly more, like even more embrace of the action star um, type. We can bring a little Harley Quinn into, <laughs> into Ruth in this situation. Uh, I, 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 think, I think she's the one. Yeah. Uh, and I, I personally would love to be swept off my feet by this movie and to watch, um, with even more impressive, with even more impressive explosions and fire, Elephant Walk burned to the ground as probably, again, because it would be 2020, there'd be five times as many elephants. This would be every single ele- elephant in the subcontinent of India would show up to yeah. burn down Elephant Walk and trample on its on its architectural bones. So Unfortunately, they wouldn't let you use real elephants, though. It would have to nope. be like Jungle right. Book style. No, they would, they would all be played by uh, the guy who did Gollum. <laughs> yeah, Andy Circus, a thousand Andy Circai Cir- would mm-hmm. be the elephants trampling down the house. Um, how about you, Karina? What's your what's your take on this? Well, we had talked about like the Jurassic Park remake with Laura Dern, Jeff oh, Goldblum, sh- and Sam Neill. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I don't know that it would work with them today, but we could try it. Um, I guess <laughs> we totally like, can. No, I, I think was we totally can, that- and it just like it just ages up the demo a little bit, uh, and it becomes yeah. like a what lies beneath. Michelle Pfeiffer and Harrison Ford style adult contemporary like romance thriller disaster movie. I love right. it. But then I was like, is it something, do you want to focus on like the dudes in the house, but it's like a TikTok hype house? But then I was like, <laughs> how do you get elephants in there? Is it like that the Lambos start rising, becoming sentient and like rising up? But then it was like, well, what if it's about like the Trump kids who shoot lions and stuff? Yeah. Um, yeah. I just don't know how to get a sympathetic woman into that milieu. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. And let, like, short of her, like, I, I feel like the only way, like, sympathetic woman works in there where she's, like, either she's basically being held hostage, like, she's a concubine and it gets really, really fucking dark. And then it becomes, <laughs> like, a your next Sharni Vinson rise up. Actually, I was raised on a survivalist compound, and I am going to aid the elephants in this by they're going to burn down the house, and I'm going to kill each of you with my bare hands kind of situation. <laughs> I think you would probably get a sympathetic woman in there sort of in the Carly Kloss mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Which, that took me a second to be like, wait, Claus, is there a the, the in-law, The in-law the Carly kind Claus of Claus. <laughs> yeah. like, she's taken to this estate because the guy that she's fallen in love with over two weeks is like you have to meet you know before you can really get like you have to come my, my family does this every year and it's sort of uh was it uh it's ready or not was it it's ready, ready, yeah, or, ready, not. Yeah, right, ready <laughs> or not where he's like my family does this every year and it turns out that it is like his brother is jared kushner and jared kushner is married into the trump family and yeah. all of a sudden Carly is like, what are we doing here? Why is your family riding around on on bicycles that are actually humans? <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. It's it's bore on the floor. It's whole succession yeah. bore on the floor thing. Yeah, um, I will. I do want to. I might t- ruin the phrase elephant walk for you guys, but um, when I Google, because I never Google like elephant walk movie, that would be too easy. 
So I just Googled the phrase elephant walk, and I just want to say there is a uh, slang term that it refers to that involves hazing and a bunch of dudes. And I was just like, well, that's also accurate for this film. Uh, um, I think the more common terminology of elephant walk now is like in a in a processional of like military planes that are taxiing down the runway to depart is also an uh, elephant walk. That is absolutely not what this what this slang term is. Yeah, no, I don't it, think it, it is. It but I'm gonna. Of, it involves erect penises. Is, yeah, I'll, no, I I figured you didn't even have to yeah. say that for me to know that. I, I, I just I'm, wanted. I'm to, gonna to stick with the military thing. parade thing. See, and I think that as soon as I saw all the dudes riding around on bicycles, I was like, wow, yeah, absolutely. This is basically, this tracks with the slang term as well. <laughs> like, this is, this is that. This is a bunch of those dudes oh, doing there's, that. There's, there's definitely, going on. there's definitely a, 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 a sexual element to the relationship of all of those men. All of those men are having sex with each other um, in, in Elephant Walk. We're not and, talking and, about it because it's 1954. It's, All of those men are having sex with each other. Not, but it's not, like not boarding school sex. But definitely doing weird shit together. I mean, it's like they, boarding they school where are. it's like. It's been a lot of years. Wait, they hold can't on, even what's, remember. What are you saying, Karina? It's like boarding school. Like, all, yeah. like, you know, at British boarding school, you know, men have relationships with one another. But they like, you know, they say it's something else. Exactly. Right. Yes. That is, yes, this is a very British, this is a very British boarding school aesthetic. Uh, the whole, the whole thing from, from the, the drink, the excessive drinking to the bunch of people who take care of them and they don't actually have concerns in life except for the tea. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they're just, they're just like Caligula in their off screen yeah. time. So does that, that on the note of Caligula, that brings us then to the towering infernos. Mm -hmm. So Karina, how many out of five would you give for Elephant Walk? I give it five. All right, yeah. going big. And those towering infernos were lit by elephants. Yes, they were. <laughs> yes, they were. These are the, the how many how many elephant walk infernos does this movie get? <laughs> Five for Karina. How about you, Amanda? Yeah, I um, I enjoyed this a lot more than I thought I was going to. Uh, I normally love like I love old movies. Which are, most of the movies I've seen are. Our old ones. Um, I have a huge gap in my in my experience from anything after like 1980. <laughs> um, just exists, and but I still was a little hesitant about it. And that was a really entertaining movie. I I am now a, an elephant walk uh, believer, so I'm gonna go. I'm not gonna give it quite five, um, just because I think it could have used a little more elephants. There wasn't enough elephant menace in like the middle part when they decided to have romance. I was a little like, well, bring me a little more elephant menace here. A little um, more elephant menace. So I'm going to go with a, a strong four, but I really loved it. Um, mm -hmm. That was, and, and I would watch it again just to see how many of the outfits involved drawing attention to Liz Taylor's tiny waist. Tiny, the tiniest waist. Every single outfit, I could just hear Edith Head like, being like, oh, and we'll just, Right we'll down just to your, your, your we'll just cinch it in. We'll cinch yeah. it in a little she more. She had the tiniest waist in this film, and I found it like just aesthetically so so delightful in a way that was. That's how you just. That's like, how you just throw her out of trees. She's got that yeah. little tiny waist. It was I, oh my god, the costuming in it was like enough to make me watch it again. But uh, yeah, that was yes, definitely definitely a, a strong four for me. Jordan, yeah. how about you? I too a very enthusiastic four. I had never heard of Elephant Walk. Um, I encourage anybody on this who hasn't heard of Elephant Walk to, to watch it. Um, and I encourage anybody who has and who has spoken ill of it to fucking reevaluate their opinion. Because <laughs> what more do you want? What more do you want? It gives you everything. You got a love story. You got a love triangle. You have a cholera epidemic. 
you have Elven Disaster Movie, you have colon- like colonizers getting their shit wrecked. Like I I don't you have like feminism in the 1950s. I don't know what there is to to complain about. So give it another shot and change change your opinion is what I say. Yeah, it, just accept your wrongness and and yep. rewatch it to understand why you are so wrong. That is exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm here. Well, thank you so much Karina for for bringing this one up. Yes, uh, thank this you. This was amazing. I don't think we ever would have come upon it without without a guiding hand. So thank you for that. Well, that's the thing is like I just don't understand why people don't realize that there's this Elizabeth Taylor movie where elephants set a plantation on fire (laughs) and it's all practical effects. So for that alone, people should watch this. Oh, for sure. Just I mean, that it is definitely worth it for the last just the amount of effects on that was just so cool. Uh, So, yeah. Well, Karina, before we let you go, um, and we discuss, because we don't ever really actually discuss before we get no, on we here. We always forget this. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, I'm getting an advertisement currently on my, uh, on our letterbox for watermelon line frozen yogurt. So. <laughs> wow. So they're listening. Uh, they're listening. Wow. Like, I've never gotten into this ad before, and suddenly Pinkberry is telling me to buy watermelon lime frozen yogurt. So, you know. They're so af- tailor me, apparently. They're so afraid um, you're going to go to Humphrey Yogurt instead. I, I, mean, I was going to say, I feel like Amanda has her day plans now that she knows <laughs> Humphrey Yogurt is still open. I'm going to have to figure out how to work that. Like that and the Big Chill are the two like cardinal yogurt places in Los Angeles. I'm going to have to figure out how to work that. Those are my- perfect Los Angeles yogurt shop names. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Big Chill looks like. It, like the big chill is frozen in time from the 80s when it was opened. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm going to work yogurt into my uh, the rest of my day of like frantically phone banking. Um, so, Karina, before we let you go, is there anything you want to promote? Uh, where can we find you? Give us all the important stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have this podcast called You Must Remember This. You can find it at youmustrememberthispodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And um, we don't have any new episodes coming up over the next few weeks or anything, but we are launching a new merch store, oh. um, hopefully within the next month. And we're going to have like, you know, t-shirts and hats and like face masks. But we're also producing like a special edition for the holidays. We're producing um, an adult coloring book based on this oh. podcast season I did called Dead Blondes. So it's okay. like it's all Amazing. these like blonde actresses from the 20th century who died via suicide or alcohol abuse or whatever. And there's like a Whoa. big centerfold of Marilyn Monroe. So uh, keep That's an eye awesome. out for that. It'll be for sale soon. I will That's... say you must remember this is uh, one of the few podcasts that I uh, listen to quite a lot. Like I, I doing so many podcasts, I don't tend to listen to uh, that many of them, but it <laughs> is one of those Because you are, in a way, that... listening to a lot of podcasts. Exactly. Uh, but that, that is one that uh, I never I never let go by in the feed. Cool. Yeah, Thank you. It's, it's really, it, it has been one of my favorites for a while now, so definitely check it out and listen. Yeah, and uh, now now we will get our act together and uh, let the v- listeners know what they're going to watch next week as soon oh, as we figure Karina, that out. Where can we find you, where can we find you on the socials? At Karina Longworth on Twitter and uh, also on Instagram. That's pretty much all I use. Perfect. That's that's follow her. She is a great follow. That is how Karina and I have become. Uh, I, I, that's how I, Karina came to my attention was because of her vintage stuff and also because she loves the Dodgers, uh, which is a valuable personality trait. Dodgers Twitter. If you can Dod- just be a voyeur on that, you really should give it a <laughs> shot sometime. It's, it's horny. It's a weird, weird, wonderful place. Anyway, Karina, thank you so much again. Yes, thank you. Thank you, guys. 
All right, so that brings us to the end of our digging into the archives with Elephant Walk, the Liz Taylor apparent classic, uh, courtesy of Karina Longworth. And then that uh, that tees us up for something really different next week. We've had a couple animal disasters in a row, so we're going to zag. And what's going to be the next selection, Amanda? The next selection is On Hostile Ground, a, uh, I, I, you know, not an animal disaster unless you consider John Corbett an animal. Uh, <laughs> a geologist, John Corbett, investigates a sinkhole under New Orleans that might engulf the city during Mardi Gras. Simple, to the point. Yeah. I can't wait to see Perfect. John Corbett as a geologist. I can't wait to see John Corbett as a geologist trying to save New Orleans during Mardi Gras. I hope it involves floats. <laughs> I hope that the climax involves John Corbett jumping from float to float as they're like sinking into a sinkhole. <laughs> Cannot wait. And that's I honestly- available. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, I, I just love a movie that has such a tight and succinct, uh, uh, like, description. That's right, yeah. yeah it's to easy. the point. Um, so we're, we've got that coming, and that you can find that is available for streaming on Amazon, for, for Amazon Prime, on Vudu, and, of course, uh, our beloved Tubi. Yes, Tubi. Tubi or not Tubi. Tubi. It is Tubi. So you can find that all there for free. Um, so that will be next week. Anyway, Jordan, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at JorCrew, J-O-R-C-R-U. And you can also check in on the limited series podcast. I am currently co-hosting with uh, Lana Bennett and Christina Grace Tucker, where we talk entirely about the movie A Simple Favor on a simple podcast. And Just our delightful. last episode, it's mm-hmm. a true delight. Our last episode featured the Paul Feig uh, our episode episode four featured an interview with uh, Paul Feig. Episode five will feature an interview with costume designer Renee Ehrlich Kalfas. So we've got some great content for you. So go over our, go, go on over and check it out. It's it's a fantastic podcast. I absolutely have loved listening to you guys. Like just thank you. Be, We're be having glee, be glee so fun about this film. So much fun. Yeah. Um, and also you've got a Patreon, don't you? Yes, I do. Uh, you can check out my Patreon, which. September was tough, and I apologize to everybody who has who kindly donates money to that. Uh, I I don't know. I didn't have anything go up in September on September in September on that, but I have been putting out the Simple Favor Pod, and I've been doing this pod. I have been doing things, and I will post them on the patreoncom Cruciola. Um, and I, I have uh, written a couple things, too, for uh, actual websites. So, and then there were the wildfires when I was home in Oregon, and then I was driving back down to california Jordan, so we it's accept been a lot. you thank it's you okay. it's i know i just uh, people okay. people nope, pay Jordan, goods and services it's okay so it's i just okay. wanted to clarify that i will be back at it i promise you all and happy happy october everybody it's finally spooky <laughs> season for you halloween fucking obsessives out there hell yeah and jason where can we find you uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jason Halftones, where apparently I am now uh, taking a full-time job telling people how to pronounce various names. Uh, it has taken up the entirety of my last four days. Um, so if you're ever curious about, like, you see someone's name on a comic book and how to pronounce it, there's a giant thread now that is uh, <laughs> sucking my Twitter into a black hole where I tell you how to pronounce names. Uh, it's honestly, it's insane. It I sounds don't like a public service. Yeah. I, I just I did it. I was listening to a podcast actually, and I got so frustrated hearing 
the amount of mispronunciations happening that I just like at 2 a.m. when I was tired as hell, just like made this really sarcastic and snarky thread. And then I woke <laughs> up and it had been retweeted like 1500 times. And like the- people were, were sort of hot taking it. And most people were like, oh, thanks. This is great. But then a bunch of people were like, this is actually uh, bad. And you're you're being uh, pedantic. And wait, and were people were people arguing with pronunciations? I- there were a couple of people okay. arguing with pronunciations. But here's the thing. There is almost nothing I take more pride in than pronouncing people's names right so that none is of them a very, had any leg to stand on that is very respectable people are not often people are often too careless with that so i Truly. appreciate that you know and most people did like the people who have hard to pronounce names were like very appreciative and like it was it was it was gaining traction in the right way but then there were a bunch of people who were just like this guy is a sarcastic fuck and he's being rude to people for not knowing <laughs> yeah. how to pronounce names that Someone sounds was right ableist about it and oh my i was just God. like look oh. i know i was like i was like look i I was tired. I thought no one but my friends would um, see this, really, like people who I know. So I was being sarcastic because I didn't think strangers would be looking at this and interpreting anything but, you know, jest. Uh, uh, But also, like, it's very important to pronounce people's names right. And I think we need to stop colonizing uh, names with foreign roots. Yep. I think that's completely true. And I feel like the amount of times that you hear um, people with, you know, not names not that aren't like John and Ben. Uh, yeah. you know, there are, there's an introduction and so, oh, is it pronounced like this? And there's so often a, I, I feel like I hear a reaction of like, yeah, that's fine, whatever. Because people just are yep. so deservedly burnt out on like people having their names butchered that it's yep. like, yeah, just whatever is easiest for you, whatever you can just call me. And that needs to fucking stop. We totally. People need to be conscientious enough and take the time to actually learn how to say somebody's name yeah. right. So I The amount of times I've, I've heard a white person on like a podcast say George instead of Jorge just oh, makes me God. want to scream. Oh, God. Um, yeah. Anyway, so you can find that thread and more fun comic loving stuff at Jason Halftones. Awesome. And then I'm uh, Amanda R. Tubbs, and that's Tubbs with two Bs on Twitter. And uh, that's really the only place that you'll want to find me because that's the only place that I really do anything um, unless I am phone banking and I speak to you on the phone, in which case, please be nice to me. Hell yeah, buddy. Um, so yeah, in, in lieu of um, any sort of thing that I'm putting out, I'd recommend if you have time, if you can put two hours of your week into it, go to mobilize.us. Um, yeah, Amanda coming up. in with the, with the big hits yeah. information. Hell Yeah. Um, sign up to phone bank, sign up to text bank. I, um, recently, uh, signed up to send a bunch of postcards to people and that is not my preferred method of doing things. And so <laughs> I am like slogging through sending, writing a hundred postcards. Um, but that is also a thing you could do if you don't mind sitting and writing postcards all day long. Yeah. Um, so please sign up to do those things. Uh, make sure you're registered to vote. Make sure that your friends and family have a plan about how they're going to be voting um, and like just really hammer home. Like, what is your plan? What are you, are you going to vote early? What information do you need in yes. order to know how to vote early? Um, if you plan on voting by mail, please make sure that you know all the rules and regulations surrounding it. Uh, mm-hmm. In Pennsylvania, there's two envelopes that you need to put your, your ballot into. Um, certain states have certain dates that need to be met by. So please. Um, and obviously this only applies if you're going to be voting for Biden. If you're voting for Trump, um, <laughs> my understanding is that you can just draw a happy face on your mail-in ballot um, and you don't have to do anything else but if you're voting for Biden please be conscientious about what, how you're going to be voting um, and make sure that your friends and family 
are as well. Uh, also, and sign up to to do things to volunteer. If you can tweet, you can spend two hours of your week sending text messages to make sure that voters are getting out there and doing it. Um, and call your reps. Also, that's another thing. Sorry, this is the one soapbox I have. Mm-hmm. Call your reps. Um, call them regularly. Make sure that they're sick of hearing your voice. Um, that is an important thing as well. So yes, that's my. That's where you can find me is uh, on my soapbox. I do I do also want to say, in light of recent news, just anyone who thinks that there's some sort of weird conspiracy happening as to why only um, Republican uh, people in government are <laughs> getting coronavirus, well. there's a very... The conspiracy goes uh, about two feet before you realize that those are the only people who are gathering without masks, and that is why they are catching it. So please wear your masks, socially distance. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is proof of exactly what we've all been saying for six months. Yes. Yeah, the reason that they have coronavirus and most people I know don't is because none of us have hugged in six months <laughs> like none of us have experienced true human contact in six months um yeah. and they all were like basically just at a big party spits. hugging and kissing and spitting yeah. in each other's mouths yeah. so all uh, right lesson learned elizabeth taylor would not have caught coronavirus in elephant no. walk uh, no. all of john's friends would have taylorism would not have abided this yes no. So, okay, guys. Um, and then, of course, you can find the podcast. We're disaster underscore pod uh, on Twitter. We're disastergirlspod at gmail.com. We're disastergirls on Letterboxd. Um, please rate and review us. Hell, Give us yes. five stars. After you phone bank, uh, make sure that you also bug your friends and family to rate and review us as well. That is super mm-hmm. helpful to us. And uh, we'll see you all back next week for On Hostile Ground. See you then, you guys. Bye, Bye. guys. That might be cool.com. You never know. <laughs>